Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. continuing in our series and really been enjoying the series together and um, talking about being lost and found and uh, when we're found we're found for a purpose we're found for a reason we're here for a reason today and I really pray that God will speak to us from his word I'm going to be speaking from Ephesians chapter 2 found at home verses 1 to 10 uh, subtitled made alive in Christ and I've managed to persuade uh, Frank to come and deliver the Bible reading so Frank I'll bring you out of retirement brother and bring you up if Steve doesn't mind giving you the mic and let's have the Bible reading and he's going to give a a short summary of that as well and then we'll get into the message. Thank you, Frank. A summary? I didn't know about that. (laughs) Prophetic as ever. Okay. Made alive in Christ. Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that anyone could boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, Deborah's going to preach. I kind of wish I was preaching on this. It's one of those passages of scripture that just falls into three brilliant sections. This is how you were, this is what God did, and this is what he did it for, so that you might demonstrate his grace and his power through the good works not that you're saved by them but that you were prepared to do that's the outcome so thank you God for the truth and over to you my darling I might just go and negotiate see if I can persuade him (laughs) to stay up and preach but no that was fantastic and what a passage of scripture it's um, got to be one of the best uh, most important uh, passages in um, the New Testament. Do you agree? I mean, in, in those 10 verses, you have got 
the whole story of what God has done in salvation. The reason why we're here today in church, the reason why we're part of church across the world, and it's lovely to see people from other parts of the world visiting with us today. The reason why we're able to say we're part of millions of people, 40,000 Christian denominations around the world worshipping Jesus in different, different tribes and tongues, different uh, cultures, but all worshipping the same living God is because of this passage of scripture and what it means for us. And it, what I love as well about it is it talks about the true character of God. Uh, he, is, he is rich in love. He, it talks about his, not just his love, it talks about his great love. It talks about his kindness, it talks about his mercy, and it talks about the word grace. We're all saved by grace, not by works. We're, none of us are better. As Christians, we're not better people. We're not more godly people. We are simply people who are saved by grace, not because of anything we've done. If someone's told you different from that, it's not the same gospel. The gospel is that we're saved by grace and we're forgiven sinners. That's the difference. And this great character of God, and it brings out so much riches. And I uh, started to meditate on this uh, passage a few weeks ago because I knew that Frank and I were going on holiday and we weren't back until this last Wednesday. So I thought I need to prepare in advance on this passage and really, really begin to meditate on Ephesians chapter 2. It's obviously a letter written to the church. So it's a message for us primarily today. It's to the church. It's about the way that we work out our faith and the way that we impact the world around us. So I started to prepare a little bit beforehand and then um, a, a week last Wednesday off Frank and I went to the sleepy island of Malta uh, for a holiday and um, we got to the gates at um, departures in Manchester Airport, gate 23. And we arrived at gate 23. As we go down the stairs, we're greeted by at least 118-year-olds, scantily clad. I mean, um, the the, the dresses and the female clothes were all see-through. And you, you could see what was underneath, which wasn't very much. And, and um, uh, they brought in, I can only describe as they brought in these string dresses which looked like a, a bit like my granddad's vests. Uh, granddad's string vests. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? And that was the dress over the top of the bikini or whatever was being worn underneath, which wasn't very much. And I thought, they've gone to the wrong gate. They, they cannot possibly be going to Malta. Um, the, the average age there is at least 50. They're not going to Malta. They've gone to the wrong gate. But sure enough, it wasn't the wrong gate. And onto the flight with us to Malta were all of these uh, lovely young 18-year-olds. And it's six o'clock in the morning, by the way. And you know you're in trouble when the captain announces over the tannoy that he's watching out for any bad behaviour and no alcohol is going to be served but don't worry about it they'd already had plenty of alcohol by that time anyway but mercifully because they're young people and it's six in the morning a lot of them were asleep on the flights 
and it, and it, and it wasn't too bad. bad. And before I, I'm, as you know, I'm a big social media person and I don't switch off when I go on holiday, even though I get told off by everybody about that. And I'm on Twitter right till the very last minute before you've got to turn your phone off. And on Twitter up comes a friend of mine called Sacha, Sasha Lord. And he is one of my Twitter friends. And I don't know him very well, but he's the Greater Manchester Nighttime Economy Advisor. And he said, Deborah, I hope my festival doesn't spoil your holiday. And I'm like, what festival? What festival? And I found out, and it's so apt for our uh, series that we're in at the moment about Lost and Found. I found out that the festival is aptly called Lost and Found. And it's happening on Malta at the same time that we're there. Thankfully, in a different part of the island, and one, we didn't really disturb us that much. One day we went on a bus tour and we, we drove past all of these um, young people with their wristbands on, all going into this amazing concert on the beach and all, as I say, wearing very little. On the way back, it was a Wednesday again, very early in the morning, about half past ten, and you've guessed it, they were all back with us on the flight back. Absolutely fantastic. So we got on the flight and we were um, blessed. Um, the favour of God was all over us because we were in aisle 12, which is the extra leg room aisle. Now, I don't need extra leg room, as you can see, but my husband likes his extra leg room and we're blessed. And he has the aisle seat, I'm in the middle. And to the left of me, the window seat, there's nobody in there. What a wonderful blessing, and we think the doors are just about to open, we think everybody's on, when an extra wave of rather drunken people suddenly come onto the flight, and they're walking up the aisle, and I'm preciously holding on to my window seat. Please don't let anyone sit in this seat, Lord. Lord, I'll do anything you want in this next week if you please just don't let anyone sit in that seat, and I'm naming and claiming everything. And uh, up, uh, up the aisle comes this uh, slightly older than average age, a lost and found guy, but he must have been there, he had his wristband on. He's wearing a yellow hat, so I spot him immediately. And in his hands, he's carrying a polystyrene takeaway uh, container with hot, steaming, smelly food uh, emitting out of it, and he's walking towards aisle 12. And guess what? I just knew he's coming to sit next to me. So we get up and he, in, in, in he comes and he's, he says, I'm starving. A kind of accent. Like, I don't know whether I've done justice to his accent. And he starts shoveling this food in his, into his mouth and I had to sort of kind of look away a little bit because I was feeling a little bit nauseous at this point. Uh, at one point, I went to the, to the loo and, bless him, my wonderful husband decided to swap places with me and he sat in the middle seat next to this guy so that I could have an upgrade and sit in the aisle seat and be a little bit away from the noises that were coming out, which weren't just eating noises, the kind of other kind of noises that I don't want to go into in church on a Sunday. And Frank had his earplugs ear in and he's watching a film, so it wasn't too bad. And it was just, 
in me thinking, come on, Deborah, you're supposed to be meditating on the word of God here, Ephesians chapter two. And it was really, really interesting because it caused me to think about the whole thing of the truth of this passage that the Bible talks here in Ephesians two that we were dead in our sins and transgressions. Dead in our sins and transgressions. Not a little bit poorly, not a little bit feeling unwell, but the, the Bible uses a strong word. It says dead. There's, that, that we were dead. It talks about trespasses and it talks about sins. And trespassing is where you cross over a line, which are the boundaries that God has laid for. Uh, and let me just explain this. These boundaries that God has made for us are for our safety. Yes. And so that we can live the joyous lives and fulfilled purposed lives that God has for us. He's not a killjoy. He's not up in heaven telling us off of the things that we're doing wrong, judging our every move so that we don't enjoy the parties, so that we don't enjoy the life around us. He's not like that at all. That is not his character and his nature. But if we cross certain boundaries, and many of us will know this from maybe mistakes that we've made in life, it's, it's bad for us. Right. It spoils the joy because those things then have consequences. So we are not poorly or a bit unwell, but we are dead in our transgressions and sins. Unless we see it that way, there's no remedy. There's nothing to help us because only the sick need a doctor. We need to recognise our trespasses. And then it talks about sins. And the word here is hamatia. And it, what it is, is it's an archery term and it's about missing the mark. It's, it's about failing to reach the standard of the one and true holy God. Now, no one can reach that standard. Romans 3 tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short. It's not about the grade of sin. It's all have sinned and trespassed and we are dead in our sins. And the, the, the great thing about this, as Frank reminded us, is it's we were we were, it's past tense, writing to the church at Ephesus. He's saying, we all were like this. It's a human condition. It isn't even just to do with the sins that you've committed. It was you were born that way. It's part of the fall. It's part of what Adam and Eve um, were in the garden and fell away from the boundaries that God had laid for them and sin entered the world and it's a human condition and it's terminal. It's not just, it's not that we need resuscitation. The only thing that can help us is resurrection and this is what we're being offered here. We were dead in our trespasses and sins and rebellion to the living God. And one of the best things that ever happened to me, the best day of my life was around October 1980. And my, I'd been married for about six months and my dad went to church. We were living with my parents. My dad went to church for the first time in about 20 odd years. He came back so full of joy, so full of life and so full of peace 
I'd never seen him that way before. I was so attracted to what God was doing in his life that I went to church with him the following week. And the best thing that happened to me was that I realised that I was dead. And I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that I'd committed sins. But I didn't really define myself as dead in my transgressions. I had a pulse. I was living. I was breathing. The word dead would probably have been offensive to me. But when I realised the truth that I was dead in my transgressions and sins, the best thing then that could ever happen to me was then that I knew that somebody had done something about it. And by grace you have been saved, not by your works so that anyone might boast. It is by grace and it's all about what Jesus did that I'm now able to say along with many of us here, we were in the past tense, we were. And if anybody is watching this message on Facebook or uh, listening to this live here with us today at Ivy Church Didsbury and you feel like that defines you, that you feel dead on the inside, that, that there's something at work within you that is missing, that there's something that you're searching for, come and have a conversation with us. Because there's a promise in this passage that you don't have to stay dead in transgression and sin. And in fact, all you have to do is accept the free gift of God, which is available to all humanity. And do you know what? God is not willing that anyone should perish. Think about that verse. That means he's not happy or willing to accept that anybody is not going to receive this word. Everyone is avail- it can make themselves available of this free gift of God. And that's the position that we should have as church in the way that we view people in, in, in the world who don't know Christ yet. That is our position. Not one of judgment, not gloating, not boasting, but accepting that but for the grace of God, there was I. And yet now because of the great love, I am in Christ. So we were dead in our sins. And that helps us to remember. Have you ever reflected? I have often reflected. Where would I be now without the love of Christ? Some of you are nodding. Where would my life be 30-something years later, that decision that I made, if I hadn't chosen to follow Christ? My life's not been perfect as a Christian. I've let myself down and others down and God down many, many times. But the Holy Spirit has been at work in me to turn those situations around. When I'm about to make a bad judgment or a bad decision on behalf of myself or others, the Holy Spirit is shouting his voice over my life. Come and walk in this direction. I've filled you with the Holy Spirit for a purpose and for a reason. And it's probably literally saved my life on many occasions. So we were dead in sin. But the good news is there's one we were. There's four you are's. There's four we are's in this passage. And the first one is that we are made alive in Christ. Because of his great love, we are no longer dead, but we are alive in Christ. When I became a Christian, um, I don't know whether this ever happened to you, but I've heard other people testify to it. I went outside and all of a sudden the grass seemed greener. The, the, The trees were more vibrant, the flowers seemed to be more fragrant and vivid. 
the hills seem to be bigger and more majestic. It's exactly the same as before. And I think what it is is because it makes sense that when you become alive, you become awake to those things that are around you. And it makes sense, if you think about it, that the creator God who made all of this creation, uh, you are now in, in, in touch with him. He's living within you and therefore he's making you alive to his creation. He's making you alive to nature and to people around you and, and, and to the potential and possibility. So you were dead in sin and now you are alive in Christ. You've been made alive in him. But not only made alive in him, but it tells us here that we have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. It says, you who were dead in sin are now made alive and now you are raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Verse six, seated with Christ in heaven. How amazing is that? We who were dead in our sins, made alive, now raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places. But it doesn't really make sense logically because as far as I know, we're still here on earth. In this earthly realm, we're still working out our faith here until we go to be with him in glory. One day we'll be seated with Christ, but no, no, Ephesians is telling me now that I'm seated with Christ in heavenly place. And what it literally means is that positionally, the way God sees me and the way God sees you is that you were seated with him in heavenly realm. Your place is secure to the point that it's already there now. And, and, it, and more than that, what, it, what it's talking about here is that we can uh, have a heavenly perspective, as it were, as God reveals his heavenly perspective about our earthly circumstances. So as Christians, we're all experiencing grief and suffering and we have questions and we have doubts and there are things that uh, don't make sense about what is going on around us and that is real pain. I'm not going to minimise that and sometimes I think we go through more pain even sometimes than others around us because we're more alive to the suffering that's going on. But positionally, we are seated with Christ in heavenly realms which means through prayer, we can get a perspective which helps us live through our circumstance with victory. Not necessarily happy, clappy kind of victory, but real substantial victory that comes from within, knowing that the battle is ultimately won by Jesus Christ. So we are seated with Christ. When next you face a trauma or a difficulty or you're at a transitional point in your life and you're not really quite sure of what is happening around you, say, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly realms. Lord, would you help me see from a heavenly perspective what you are doing here on earth? And ask him and he will do that. So we're seated with him in heavenly realms and then another you are, you are not dead anymore, you are now alive, you're seated and raised with him in heavenly places and you are his workmanship. 
You are his workmanship, verse 10, created in him to do good works which were prepared for you in advance. You are his handiwork. Workmanship here means a poema in the original Greek language, poema. You can guess what that word, uh, where we get another word, poem, that comes from the word poema. In the Jerusalem Bible, it says it literally means you are a work of art. Who's into, into art, visual art? A few of you here. You, did you ever think about yourself as being a work of art? That you were a work of art displaying something of God's glory to others. That you were a poem that someone will read. And when they read your poem, which is you and your life, they will understand something of the incomparable riches of God's grace and his kindness and his mercy because of your poetry, because your life is poetry. And how, and how we're living our life is a poem before the Lord. Even in your brokenness, even through tears, it's a poem. Because you know what? Many people can't relate to people who never have a problem. And people who are always um, on top of everything. The, the, the times that I've had that have been best times where I've, I've had best meaningful conversations with those who don't know the Lord yet has been when I've been in, in quite a broken place, I've let that brokenness show, but let the, the fact that I still love and trust the Lord Jesus Christ in my life even through those circumstances. It's not about being behaving in a victorious way, but being a poem and allowing. You are his workmanship. You are literally a poem. Um, You've probably all seen um, before and after films or photographs of uh, transformation, things that are transformed. I'm going to show you one of those in a minute of, um, a, of six volunteers who've been and transformed the most overgrown garden I've ever seen in my life in Partington. Many of you know we've got a church called Ivy Fuse, which is in a place called Partington where our Redeeming Our Communities headquarters is. And we've just started a new project called Rock Garden, which is basically, it has been started in Blackpool, but a team, they've just launched it in Partington. And a team of six volunteers have come and transformed this overgrown garden, which I want you to see. But it's, it's all to do with the way that you live your life out, the work that you do, the way you are around your neighbours, the, the things that you say to people, maybe taking people a meal, it doesn't have to be a garden, or maybe just visiting somebody who's lonely. You are his workmanship displaying his comparable uh, love and grace and kindness. So let's just have a quick look. It's only a 20-second a, a second clip but it just shows you how overgrown the garden is there I'm not doing the gardening by the way which wouldn't be a blessing but the the six guys went in including the owner of the house it was just a bit overwhelming for them to do it on their own and then toward the end we got a bit of rain but that's how much <laughs> you can see the rain there we are his workmanship you know we are here we've been created for a purpose to do good works in advance to be able to um, show 
God's love by the way that we live our lives and the things that we say. And I want to share a story with you about this. is something that happened um, at Spring Harvest, Skegness. Um, many of you were at Spring Harvest in Minehead and then after going home and having a day break, I, I was off to Spring Harvest at Skegness. It was the beginning of the week and to be honest, I was a little bit tired and we'd finished our evening meeting and all I wanted to do was go and have a drink and hang out with some of the team and just unwind a little bit. It was about 10 o'clock at night and I'm wandering through the Skyline Arena. At, in, for those of you who don't know, it's at Butlins. And you need to come because it was absolutely fantastic. And we're wandering through the Skyline Arena and I spotted this older couple, probably in their early 70s, I would say. And I really felt the Holy Spirit say, go and speak to this couple. And you know when you get prompting to do that, you have a choice really. Now I'd rather go and get a cup of tea or no, I'll speak to this couple. I went over to chat with them. And they were really friendly and they were really happy to chat. I said, are you enjoying spring harvest? They said, yeah, it's just the start of the week, but we're really looking forward to it. And I got chatting with them and got to know them quite well. And I said to the lady who was called Wendy, um, do you mind me asking you why you're in a wheelchair? And she said, well, I have polio. And I've had it since I was a child. And my face must have looked quite sad when she told me that because she then said, oh, but don't, don't worry, I've had a really happy life, I've had a really wonderful life. Apart from obviously having polio and being in a wheelchair, she said, I've got a wonderful husband who I've been married to for 40 years, we've, we brought, we've had children together, we've brought up children, we've had wonderful, happy life, it's just that my health isn't good. I thought, oh, that's so fantastic that she's come to something like spring harvest when she's struggling. She said, I'm really struggling with my breathing. And I could see that she was struggling with the breathing. So I said, okay, what are you doing this evening? And she said, well, I'm lo we're looking for Jim. She said, we're looking for Jim. And I went, okay. I thought that was quite an unusual thing to say. So what do you mean you're looking for Jim? So she said, well, last year we came to spring harvest and we had a wonderful week. And she said, but at the beginning of the week, I was really struggling with my breathing and didn't know whether I was just going to spend the whole week in a chalet. And she said, and there was this wonderful guy called Jim who was a volunteer with Spring Harvest. And he offered to pray for me. And as he prayed for me and laid hands on my shoulder, she said, all of a sudden I could breathe. Literally the best that I've been able to breathe in years. And for the whole week, I was able to breathe and go to the sessions and enjoy spring harvest. So tonight, at the beginning of the week, I'm looking for Jim to ask him to pray for me again. And I kind of stood there. And the first thought that went through my head was, well, what if Jim isn't here? Okay. What if Jim isn't here? That was the first thought that came from my question. They had so much hope in Jim. It's like, Jim, I wish I could meet him now. He sounds like the most amazing guy. And they had so much hope in Jim. And I thought, but what if he's not here? And I found out afterwards that he wasn't there. Because I chatted to the team and said, have you got anyone called Jim? And no, he didn't come this year. So I suddenly thought, I've got to step up. 
and be Jim in this situation. So I said, I know I'm not Jim, but will you let me pray for you? And she said, yeah, that would be lovely. So I started to pray that she would be able to breathe. She wasn't even asking for, can you ask God to take away the polio? All she wanted was to be able to breathe. It was a wonderful opportunity to pray. And um, as I say, I came away and found out afterwards that Jim wasn't there. And, uh, you know, I expect you're going to you're going to be thinking that I'm going to say now that she shouldn't have been looking for Jim, that she should be looking for Jesus. Because actually, Jesus is the one who does the healing, as we all know. But I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say she should have been looking for Jim. Because the truth is, biblically... That however much pressure we might find this to be, and it doesn't need to be a pressure, that the Holy Spirit has invested the gifts of the Spirit, the graces of the Spirit, and the compassion of the Spirit into you to pray for Wendy or your neighbour or your work colleague. It's a scary thing. And the problem is that theologically we can be in danger of abdicating our responsibility to Jesus when Jesus said, I have sent my Holy Spirit into the church and said to his disciples, it's not good for you that I stay with you. I have to go to be with the Father and I am going to send another one, a comforter, another one to the church so that you can do greater works than me. What? How can anyone do any greater works than Jesus? Which is one of my favourite verses of all time. I don't fully understand it, but I know that what is happening now in the church worldwide is there are more followers of Christ than any other time of history offering prayer, offering visits, offering love, doing, visiting a neighbour, making a meal, doing all the wonderful things that we get the chance to do. So theologically, we can be abdicating our responsibility. Well, of course, let Jesus heal her. Let Jesus pray. Let Jesus sort the problem out. Hang on a minute. I've given my Holy Spirit to my church. It reminds me a little bit of the Sunday school story. I don't know whether it's true or whether it's made up of the um, Sunday school teacher in class one Sunday morning. And um, she shows the class a photograph. Uh, I think it'll come up. And she says, what is this, children? What is this photograph of? And a young, enthusiastic little boy puts his hand up and says, Miss, it looks like a rabbit to me, but I know the answer must be Jesus. (laughs) Because everything's Jesus, isn't it? The answer's got to be Jesus. And we're telling our kids this. The answer's Jesus, but actually it's a rabbit. But the truth is that Jesus has made you his workmanship. And you are his handiwork. And I'm challenging myself here because I was really scared to pray for Wendy because she was looking for Jim. And I'm not probably as good as him at praying for sick people. 
I haven't got a fantastic track record. Some of the people I prayed for get more poorly. But I'm still called to pray. And it is Jesus that will use his power through us. So I'd like um, Robert and Charlotte to come and back and join us. And we've got a little bit of time, I think, to just respond, as Steve says, to be open to the Spirit and to say, actually, everyone, everyone is looking for Jim. Everyone. Everyone's looking for Jim. Everyone's looking for somebody who will represent Christ to them. Everyone's looking for Jim. Turn to the person next to you and say, hello, Jim. Everyone's looking for Jim because actually how will we know Jesus unless somebody shares him with us? And how did we come to know him? Because somebody did that. Somebody prayed. Someone invited you to a grow group. Somebody made a difference to your life. Somebody is discipling you, is developing you into who you are going to be in Christ. That's the way Jesus purposed it to be. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail because everybody's looking for a gym. And I want to say maybe there is somebody, as I said before, who doesn't, hasn't gone from death to life yet. Please come and speak with us. But I'm mainly bringing us a challenge to church this morning. If we want to see and reach to one, uh, three... 0.5 million people of our city of Manchester if we want to see Didsbury itself transformed we're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to refill us and to overflowing keep filling us until we have the confidence that we are made alive in Christ seated with him in the heavenly realms and we are his workmanship church not perfect but his workmanship. So if you're able to stand, uh, some of you may want to stand at this point. I'm maybe willing to respond, willing to respond to God's word. Maybe you don't see yourself as a work of art. You don't see yourself as a poem because of the things that have happened in your life. Because maybe you feel others represent Jesus better than you do. And we hold back. But the word of God stays the same. The word of God is the same. We've said over the last weeks we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Matt has given us the challenge. Would we open ourselves to be filled with his spirit today? Let the spirit flow in you. And then bring his comfort to others through you. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit, we haven't got many uh, ministry team here at the second service just today, but we can minister to one another. I just really sense that there's somebody here in particular who needed this word for their workplace situation. And what I can see is it's got really, really dark at work for someone here. And it's almost like, walls that are four walls that are coming in close and you feel you're feeling really like you want to escape 
because the pressure's coming in on you from every direction. And the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm going to fill you with my spirit. As you pray, you're going to see those walls pushed back. And you're going to see a before and after miracle before your eyes. I just really feel that's for you, actually, Tim. As I said that, I feel that's for you. I just want to pray that the, the walls go pushed back and the light comes flooding in and you see, oh wow, look what God has done. Look, look what God has done. So bless him, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Just reach out and receive. Just breathe life. Wendy needed breath to breathe. We need the breath of your spirit, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come in power. Let's just take a few minutes to receive him and receive his life and receive his words today. Jesus. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org/media.